Among us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Hello, everyone. I'm glad that you could join us this evening. As I just said, my name is Derek Hayes, and this is Monsters Among Us Podcast. Now, if you're new to the program, my show is just a little bit different. I don't have guests, per se. I don't discuss the latest books, films, or projects pertaining to the paranormal and the supernatural. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No. Here we share experiences. Real experiences from people just like you. People that were courageous enough to submit via my 24-hour hotline. Real stories. Like this one. From Lydia. In Ohio. Hi, Derek. This is Lydia from Zanesville. Yeah, so here's my story. So I grew up in a farm um, outside Zanesville, Ohio, rural area, lots of land surrounding us, farms, fields, woods. So this happened, I was probably 10 to 12 years old. I was in the kitchen of our farmhouse and we had a veal barn that sits about 40 to 50 yards outside of our back door, kind of up on a little hill. And then to the left of the veal barn, as you're facing out the back door towards the veal barn to the left, it kind of opens up into a big cornfield and the field kind of like peaks over a hill and disappears on the other side of the hill. And then you can see the very tops of trees and back there are acres and acres and acres of woods. So this particular day I was in the kitchen. My dad and his Mennonite friend were standing on the dock of the veal barn I'm just talking about whatever they like raised calves together and stuff like that. So I'm in the kitchen and my dad randomly just like bursts through the back door, comes running through the house, the opposite side of the house to the gun cabinet, grabs a rifle, runs back out and just yells at me when he goes to run back out, stay in the house. And I was like, I'm scared at that point because my dad, he's retired army sergeant major. He's an ex-cop. He's just a very straightforward guy, doesn't mess around, doesn't pull pranks or anything like that. So he runs back out and so I go to the glass back door and I'm looking out and he is running across the hill towards the woods with our male German Shepherd. And we had German Shepherds growing up. We had a male and a female. Um, The female was timid. She wouldn't really hurt anything. She was kind of on the shy side. And our male, he was a real like go-getter, really interactive, was our guard dog, alarm dog, would take down anyone for us kind of dog. So my dad is running across the field towards the woods with the rifle and our German Shepherd by his side. And our Mennonite friend had since gotten his truck and left. And so I'm kind of confused as to like what's going on. My dad's back there for a couple hours, an hour or two, doing whatever the heck I didn't know what he was doing. Um, And he didn't actually tell me what happened until years later when I was older. Apparently what happened, they were standing up on the dock, he and our friend. And they were just talking and then they see our female German Shepherd who had just wandered off to like, you know, do what dogs do, go take care of their business and just sniff around. She had wandered off over the field towards the woods and they were standing up there on the dock and they see she comes booking it, like running as fast as she can, like something is chasing her back over the field towards the house. And behind her, about 20 to 30 yards behind her chasing her, is what my dad described to be similar to like a coyote, but it had a longer pointed snout and longer pointed ears. And it was running on two legs, chasing her towards the house. And when they saw this thing and it saw them, 
it stopped and dropped down on all fours and turned and ran back the direction it came back towards the woods. And that's when my dad ran down to the house and got the rifle and took off after it with our male German Shepherds. My female German Shepherd didn't want anything to do with it. She was apparently scared for her life. She wanted to get back inside and not be outside anymore. So my dad runs after this thing and our Mennonite friend left and they were back there in the woods for an hour or two trying to track it, find any any tracks, any scents or anything like that. And to no avail, they didn't find anything. I guess later on, my dad tried to talk to our friend about what they had seen because they both saw it. And he tried to talk to him about that what they had seen and our friend to this day still denies that he saw anything at all. He didn't see anything, he doesn't, you know. So, which I kind of understand because Mennonites are, if you're unfamiliar with what they are, they're basically like Amish, but they drive vehicles and have electricity, but they're very religious people. So I can understand him being in denial about it because of, you know, spiritual or religious reasons or anything like that. So yeah, they never found anything. Um, I attached the little drawing that my dad drew up for me, if you want to post that in the show notes. But my dad said that the closest thing that he could find, he did some research on it. And the closest thing that he could find was Bray Wolves. If you've ever heard of Bray Wolves, I think I've heard you um, say some things about them on your podcast. I've never actually like done any research of my own. This is just all like word of mouth from my dad. But yeah, um, I've, we've never like had any issues since. I used to like ride my horses back in those woods, and there were times when my horses would just spook for absolutely no reason at all, and I would look around, and there wouldn't be any predators around. There would be absolutely no reason for them to like want to get out of there. And I mean, this this would happen several times. And I had two different horses that this would happen with in those woods that it ran towards and disappeared into. I've never sensed anything, never seen anything back there. But you know how there's this kind of belief that animals and like older people and younger children, like children, babies are like more susceptible to like picking up on those kind of energies or however you'd like to say it. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it because, like I said, I never saw anything or experienced anything like that, but. I used to go riding back there in those woods with my horses and they would be so spooked to the point where I would have to let them just run back to the barn because they didn't want to be in those woods anymore. So, but thank you again. Love your platform. Love what you do. Stay safe out there and God bless. Thank you so much. Now, if you're a Patreon listener, that call just might sound familiar. That's because it is. It originally aired back in Monsters Among Us Beyond number 32 but you're about to see why it's worthy of a replay. Oh, by the way, she did email a drawing of the creature that her father had made. So visit the website in the show notes tab, or follow her social media to have a look at that. Now as for relevancy, for starters, Zanesville is my homeland. I grew up in the sticks back in that area. As a family, we visited Zanesville on a weekly basis growing up, and my mom still works there, in fact. But none of that is relevant to the story, except to say that I don't recall any werewolf or wolfman or dogman stories from that area. Besides, everyone knows that's grassman country. But the call is however relevant, if you've been watching the news lately. This is a strange-like human-like, part creature seen in Texas. Well, a strange creature has been spotted outside the Amarillo Zoo, and it's not an animal, it's not exactly a human. Take a look. They caught on camera a mystery in Texas. What is this strange figure that people are trying to figure out? The city of Amarillo, Texas is asking folks to guess, what is this thing? Security cameras captured what appears to be a wolfman walking around the property. Amarillo, Texas. Officials want the public's help in figuring out what the heck this is? <laughs> Caught in a security camera photo. Footage of a mysterious figure has officials in Texas quite confused. They can't figure out what it is, so they're asking the public to help identify it. And before we go today, the Amarillo Zoo needs your help identifying a mystery object. Take a look at this photo caught on their security cameras. It's a strange image taken outside of the zoo in the wee hours of the morning. Whatever it is, 
It seems to be everywhere. That's only a small sample of the mystery monster coverage that I found over at YouTube. It seems every news station out there has taken a stab at this thing. Now there's a link in the show notes if you want to have a look at this picture. But if you're somehow not familiar... Back in mid-May, the Amarillo Zoo in Amarillo, Texas, got a strange figure on what they claim is security footage. The figure is humanoid, standing in the bipedal position. You can see what appears to be a pair of legs, and the head and shoulders seem to be puffy like a lion's mane, or perhaps a wolf. Now I should add that there is what appears to be a tail, though it is difficult to discern where one part starts and the other part begins, because the image was captured in monotone, night vision gray. Well, so many people reached out last week asking about this image that I felt I needed to address it here on the show. And I mean, there were a lot of you. My dad even called to share the news. And since you asked for it, here is my opinion on the Amarillo Wolfman. Having driven through Amarillo several times, I get the inclination that the town struggles to bring in tourist revenue. Now, nothing against the town, but they're sort of in the middle of nowhere, and not really on the way to anywhere. And I'm sure the zoo feels that same pinch. So at least to my self-trained eye, it seems that this may be a ploy to bring in curious cryptic catchers to the Texas Panhandle. Now, to support that opinion... I offer up a couple pieces of evidence, anecdotal evidence. Let's start with the camera. What an odd angle for a security camera. Just a random stretch of fence. No gate, no features. Just grass, weeds, and a few sections of chain-link fence. Now I dug up the original image, which told me that the photo was captured by a trail cam rather than a traditional security camera. The brand is a spy point, and the model is the Micro LTE. Now, unfortunately, it's a photo-only trail cam. But here's the kicker. It does send images in real time. So in theory, if it was set up correctly, the security team at the zoo would have received the images almost real time. So if that was the case, did no one investigate? And in the original, the figure is to the far right of the image, and it's moving to its left. So you would think there would be more than one shot of this thing, especially knowing the camera has the capability to take two pictures per detection. And the camera deletes the oldest image when the card is full, so it certainly didn't run out of space. And finally, the costume, uh, sorry, the creature itself. The fur, whatever it is, covering it isn't consistent, and it seems to be wearing a pair of pants of some sort. How many dogmen do you know that wear pants? And I do hear a few of you. Yes, the wolfman did wear pants. Which is why I started calling this the Amarillo Wolfman. Had a nice ring to it. But look, I don't definitively know what is in this image. But if I had to take a guess, it appears that it's a person wearing street clothes with something on their head. A cheap Halloween mask. One of those furry animal hoodies. Or some roadkill. Whatever it is, it covers the sleeves and seems to create a mane and possibly a tail. But the bottom line is, I think this is likely a person in a costume. And I think the zoo knows that. Otherwise, I think we would see multiple angles of this entity. But again, that's just my opinion. Hit up our social media accounts and let us know what you think. Despite what it is, it's always fun when the world stops and pays attention to our little universe. And a big thanks to Lydia for sharing a similar submission. Well, speaking of dogmen, don't forget that our Dogman Days of Summer sale continues this week. If you've been eyeballing some merchandise in our store, now is the time, because everything is currently 20% off. That's right, 
20% off the entire merchandise store. So that's monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop, or just click the shop tab when you get there. Now, who here is ready for another terrifying entry? Well, why don't you meet me in Florida, where together we can maul over Adam's entry. Hey, Derek, this is Adam from Merritt Island, Florida. I'm calling about a house that I'm remodeling. It's a 1912 on the river, and I've been working here for probably a year on and off. I've always had a feeling that there's been something behind me watching me the whole time I've worked here, but I just keep going. Well, the incident that I am going to tell you about today happened last month, September, and I was remodeling the washer and dryer room that went into the garage. And I started working in there, tearing down the walls to put new drywall up. And I was getting light flicker. Of course, I didn't think much of it because I'm tearing walls and I'm shaking wires, so I kept going. And then I would step into the garage and the garage halogen light would start to flicker, which is could be a bad ballast, but it never flickered before. So then I, I looked back in the washroom and that light was also flickering. So I figured it was a uh, wiring situation and I closed the door. Now this door into the garage is a 1970s style corrugated glass door with the slats that you can twist and open old school. So I closed that and Basically, the whole door is this corrugated glass window. So I'm standing there working, and the light's flickering, and it stops in there, and it, it catches my eye. And I, I look up, and I watch a about six-foot-five tall black figure shadow walk across the room, across the glass door, and then it shoots up. There was a crawl space on the ceiling, so it shot up into this crawl space, and that's when I realized that all my feelings that I've had with someone watching me was true. I walked out and sat in my truck. I kind of had to gather my thoughts, and I got up my courage, and I, I went back in there, and I just had to talk with whatever it is. There's been a lot of people in this house for the last hundred years, so I just told them, this is your spot and making it better. And that was it. I'm here actually right now, and I don't have any problems. So I think me and the spirit got an understanding. So thank you. Have a good one. That just might be the first time anyone has ever talked some sense into a spirit. At least that I've heard of. Thank you, Adam, for calling in. You know, it takes some stones to walk in there and lay down the law on a crawlspace dwelling dark entity. And I like that. And perhaps laying some ground rules is a piece of advice I should shell out more often. That's great stuff, and I'm happy to hear you two are getting along, Adam. Thanks again for calling in. Now, this evening's next eerie entry is Madeline's, out of the Keystone State of Pennsylvania. Hi, Derek. Madeline from Perry County, Pennsylvania, calling again. A different story. This happened in Duncannon, Pennsylvania, approximately a month ago, um, 2021, September. It was about like 2, 3 a.m. Uh, I woke up to go to the bathroom, and while I was in the bathroom, I heard a doorbell ring. And it was just one ring, and it definitely was not the sound of our doorbell. And yeah, it really, really startled me. And I remember just running back to my room and you know, trying to fall back to sleep. And then the next day, we lived with my boyfriend's parents at the moment. I was telling her how I heard that in the middle of the night, and she was like, no way. She's like, the night before, I had a dream that someone was ringing our doorbell and was trying to get in our house. And it was like this creepy man, burly with a beard, just ringing it nonstop, trying to get in the house. Yeah, I really honestly don't know what to make of it at all. I'd love to hear your opinion. and. Once again, love the show, and yeah, take care. Thank you, Madeline. You know, this almost sounds like a warning bell of some sort. Almost like a smoke detector with a dead battery. Though I'm the first to admit that I have no idea what sort of product would emit such a sound on such an infrequent basis. 
So as always, take my opinion with a grain of salt. And thanks again, Madeline, for taking the time to share your story. Listen, the world has quickly become a stressful place. And as a result, the pressure is mounting on all of us. And that pressure manifests in all sorts of nasty ways. Well, one way to combat these issues is through microdosing, especially for anyone who struggles with anxiety or insomnia, just like I do. If you search online, you'll find all sorts of people are microdosing to manage pain, lower anxiety, get more sleep, feel better, and overall just improve their mood. Now, before you let three little letters scare you, let me just say, microdose gummies by today's sponsor, Lumi Labs, are completely legal everywhere in the United States. And while these gummies contain cannabinoids, they're not designed to get you quote-unquote high in that stereotypical sense. Instead, I'm talking about entry-level small doses of THC and CBD that can help you wind down, chill out, and sleep like a baby. And I know they've already helped so many people. So why not give them a try? When they really do taste good and make you feel great. And I especially appreciate that Lumi's gummies come from organic, U.S.-grown hemp straight from small family farms. Now, Microdose is available nationwide. And to learn more about microdosing THC, just do a quick search online or go to microdose.com and use code MONSTERSAMONGUS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show notes. But again, that's microdose.com and code MONSTERSAMONGUS. As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to the things that keep us up at night. Now our following entry just might be the creepiest doppelganger story I've ever heard. So please, if you dare, welcome Kayla from New Hampshire. And don't say I didn't warn you. Hi, Derek. This is Kayla, first time caller. I'm calling from New Hampshire. I am calling with a story that myself and my family has dealt with for the past few years. And it sounds absolutely crazy. And we've never told anyone outside our family just because of the way that it sounds. A few years ago, I moved in with my sister with my two little boys. Their dad, I was going through a rough breakup, so my sister took us in. There was, you know, a lot of just negative emotions, and it was a very toxic relationship for me. So I'm working, my sister's helping out, watching the boys, and the one night in the middle of the night, my sister wakes up because she sees shadows going across her bedroom door, and across her bedroom is the kitchen and she opens the door thinking it's just me and lo and behold she does see it's me however it wasn't me because i didn't have a face she yelled my name and it just started weaving back and forth like taunting her you know and it was this big deal she screamed for her husband he does not believe in any of this stuff so he of course didn't believe her so the next night she told me what she saw and we staged the house it freaked me out at first i didn't really believe her but she was so serious about it she's not someone who would make it up or lie she went to school she has a master's degree in medicine her husband has his bachelor's degree in science medicine so that was the first time they saw basically like a doppelganger of me the second time i was gone for the weekend and she was watching my little baby and my brother-in-law, her husband, woke up to stuff bumping around in the night. And so he walked out the door. As soon as he opened his bedroom door, he sees, quote, me running off with my baby. And he was so confused and it ran directly outside. Confused, he ran after it, didn't see anything outside, looked downstairs, my baby was fast asleep. And that was when he started to believe. The third time, my sister was reading her son a book right before bed, and all of a sudden, this doppelganger is what we call it, just runs right into the bedroom, and as if it's in midair, jumping on the bed that they were on. She instantly had her natural reaction to protect her son, so she just like put her arms over him, 
and he even saw it. He instantly screamed, and he was to scream, Kayla, because that's what he thought. Now, we didn't tell him any of this of what was going on, so he started freaking out, asking, what was that, what was that? And every time that this happened, I was not in the house, and at this point, I'm just getting so freaked out, and, you know, I just don't know what to do. Finally, we moved out. I got my own place. Things started to settle, and then there was a few more instances of it showing up. The last one, which was actually just like six months ago, was at my mother's house. Now, my mother was in her room getting dressed, and I wasn't there, and she looks up, and she sees my doppelganger peeking inside her bedroom door, and she freaked out, you know, thought that it was me, ran out, thought that I wasn't there. So... I started listening to your podcast and a different podcast as well because I was looking online of what the heck could be an explanation and, you know, the word doppelganger always came up. Looking up answers to my own situation, I've made a lot of positive changes in my life, so I think that that is hopefully the reason why we haven't seen it again, knock on wood. I've seen it once when I was sleeping, I woke up and it was just there standing over me. And again, this is me, a ghost that is me or whatever habit. Um, so it's pretty freaky. I hope that you can use my story. I listen to you all the time. Thank you so much for giving everyone a platform to share their experiences. It's very helpful in a lot of different ways. So thank you again so much. And I can't wait to keep hearing. Bye-bye. Thank you, Kayla. That story got under my skin for some reason. There's something about the intrusion of space, not only within the house, but the body itself. And maybe the frequency that this doppelganger was spotted. It also makes this one chilling. But for those of you that are new to the program or just living under a rock... A doppelganger is an exact replica of a living person, seen and often interacted with, while the original person is many miles away. The term is of German origin, and loosely translated means double walker. Now there's a few theories as to what's occurring here, and to be honest, many of them seem to describe a phenomenon called bilocation which is the psychic ability to project an image of oneself in a second location, making the source of the phenomena the victim themselves. A big thanks again for sharing Kayla, and hopefully it doesn't happen again. But if it does, be sure to keep us posted. Now folks, if you have a true paranormal experience you would like to share, simply call the hotline at one 1- 888-608-NIGHT That's 1-888-608-6444 Okay, our next entry takes us to Texas where Anna is waiting with a tale. Hi Derek, my name is Anna. I am from Houston, but this story takes place in Livingston, Texas. I used to be a summer camp counselor and we had a training session. This happened maybe in 2014 or 2015. And after a long day, we all returned back to the cabin to just kind of, you know, go to sleep, debrief and all. Um, And it might have been midnight uh, or early morning hours when I was having a dream. I was in a crowd of people and my friend was with me. And I remember turning to her in the dream and saying, I feel like something evil is here like the devil is here I just had this horrible feeling just malice and malevolence whenever I said that in my dream I woke up immediately to the girl in the bunk next to me and she sat up screaming bloody murder she was screaming for her mother and it startled us all we just wrote it off as she was having a nightmare so once they calmed her down and we returned back to sleep I had a little bit of trouble falling back asleep but I remember staring at the end of my bed which was a small twin-sized bed, and I'm about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, at the time, so I, I was felt pretty large in the bed, but I looked down at my feet, 
and I saw something sitting there. It was some dark humanoid figure, completely black, no discernible features. When I looked at this figure, I could tell it was staring at me, even though I couldn't see a face. And I felt just the most extreme um, hatred, anger. It, it didn't want me alive, essentially, is what I felt. I remember being so scared. It wasn't sleep paralysis because I was able to pull the covers up over my head and I just began to pray. I didn't know what else to do. Eventually, I fell asleep somehow. And the next day, you know, nobody talks about it. We don't want to embarrass the girl who had this nightmare. And it might have been a month or two later, I was speaking to another one of my friends who was sleeping close to me. She told us that night she saw something and she described to a T what I saw, this, you know, hooded, cloaked figure just staring at her. She felt the exact same feelings of just hatred, of evil, whatever this thing was. It wanted us dead. And it was kind of eye-opening in the sense of having my story corroborated, but also it was just kind of unexplainable in the sense of the emotions I felt and what I perceived from it. I know somebody else called in earlier and described pretty much the exact same thing. I think she said she was sleeping at a friend's house and saw something in the corner and it was, you know, a dark hooded figure and she just felt hatred coming from it. That's my story. I've been meaning to call in for a while. I absolutely love your show. Um, I want to thank you so much just for having a platform for this. I hope you all enjoy this story and I'll probably call back with some more. Thank you. Now I imagine it doesn't take a lot to get a summer camp full of kids wound up. Not to say that that's what's happening here. But I can only imagine the chaos in that bunkhouse. Now, for me, the timing seems a little too on the nose for it to be a simple coincidence. But I'm afraid I can't tell you what really happened. Ghost, demon, a prank, or some sort of trick of the mind. Whatever it was, we appreciate you sharing it with us, Anna. And thank you again for calling in. Now, this next one should sound a bit familiar. Because Michael in Oklahoma isn't the only one to report this odd phenomena. Hey, Derek. My name's Michael. I have called before. Uh, hopefully this one turns out all right. This is my UFO story. I remember this because uh, it wasn't just me that experienced it. It was me, my friend, his mom, and his mom's boyfriend at the time staying over at his house, and we heard what sounded like a helicopter going overhead sound a little ways off but close enough you could hear it anyway well we go outside to see if we could see it you know it's kind of interesting because it's like one two o'clock in the morning i think we all go outside and we're looking and we see this black mass go over the top of us without making a sound just a large black mass could not discern shape or anything that i remember but shortly after that we heard a distinct helicopter sound going overhead but no lights or anything indicated. Just a distinct helicopter sound. I don't know if there was a delay or what, but it was really weird. I'd never heard, I've flown in helicopters and airplanes before, and you can hear those beforehand, but not really after. I mean, the, the shape was completely silent going over us. We heard nothing, and then we heard the helicopter coming shortly after. It was really weird. I've never actually been able to explain it, my friend, I've lost contact with him, but I might try and get to see if he remembers it. But it was a very distinct UFO sighting for me. And one of my favorites, actually. Yeah, I really like talking about it, but thank you very much. Hopefully I get to hear this on the podcast. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Michael. Now, although he couldn't identify the shape, this entry has all the hallmarks of a classic black triangle sighting. It was massive, it was black, it was low and slow, and that's enough to tell me that he probably saw one of these dark deltas. Now sometime in the past year or so, there was a shift in the UFO reports I've been receiving. Suddenly, 75 to 80% of all the UFO calls to come in seemed to describe this same craft, this same black triangle. And if there's one thing I've learned over the six years I've been fielding these calls, it's that the numbers seldom lie. So this influx in reports can only mean one thing. Whatever this craft is, it's still out there sailing the skies over the U.S. 
In fact, if you're outside right now, look up, just in case. Thanks again, Michael. I can't wait until I get my own experience with one of these things. Now, just a quick reminder to stick around for the bonus half of this episode. To gain access, just join the $5 level over at patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. Tonight, I'm doing a grab mag episode, so who knows what we're going to uncover. And hopefully, I'll catch you there. But first, I have a few more calls to discuss, beginning with Sierra's entry out of the state of California. Hey, Derek. I'm Sierra, and I'm from California. I wanted to call in today to share one of the creepiest things that happened to me in my childhood home. And to this day, I cannot make sense of it. I'm in my early 20s now, but I was about nine years old when this happened. So we moved into this new house. And at the time, I had a radio alarm clock that also had a compartment for CDs to go into. And it had a little dial where I could turn to change from AM to FM and also the radio channels. And I used this clock for probably 10 years. I had basically had it from the point of basically being a little kid to the point that this was happening. And we moved into my new house and suddenly it started acting weird. One night at 3 a.m., the alarm clock went off at full volume, full static, on the opposite side of the number scale that I usually had the channel on, and it was also switched to AM. And I don't know about you, but I don't know who listens to AM. I don't. And I was just like, that's creepy and odd. It was probably a family member, like my my sister, pulling a prank on me. I asked my family, and they were like, no, no, because let's be honest, why would parents play a prank? You know, they they just want their kids to sleep. They're not going to jack that up. So I kind of ignored it, and I got a new alarm clock. This time, time had passed, so it was an alarm clock that only had like a little iPod dock and a radio station capability. Well, it did the same thing, and I was convinced my family had done something, but they still to this day deny they go no we did not do anything and it's just really creepy to me in retrospect because for the first clock somebody would have had to physically turn the dials to change the settings of it and had to change the time for it to go off and for the second alarm clock that i got to go off at the same time also full static also full volume at 3 a.m it's just it's very creepy And I'm convinced that it's a paranormal experience. To this day, I feel a presence in my room when I go home. And yeah, I just wanted to share that. Maybe somebody was pulling a prank, but I I truly don't think so. They would have fessed by now. So yeah, thank you. And I'm a new fan of your podcast. And I'm really just excited to listen to more of them. Bye. Thanks, Sierra. We appreciate the entry. Now, anytime I hear about a clock radio somehow associated with the paranormal, one terrifying story always comes to mind. The Tallman family of Wisconsin and their haunted bunk bed. Here is the story in question, courtesy of one of my favorites, Unsolved Mysteries. In late May of 1987, Debbie and Alan moved the bunk bed they had bought upstairs. That night, the Tallman's son, Danny, was sleeping in the room next door to the bunk bed. Okay? Good. Have a good night. Okay. The bedrooms had been rearranged, and Danny had inherited his parents' old clock radio. On this night, the radio seemed to take on a life of its own. My son came running out in the living room and he says, but mom and dad, he says, I seen it, 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 the dial moved. He said the indicator went from one side to the radio to the other. And we kind of looked at each other and says, well, if you're going to have a fit with the radio and cause this kind of ruckus, we'll just take the radio out, you know, because that stuff just does not happen. 
Now, after 10-year-old me saw this segment, I didn't sleep for a week. A link to the full clip is in the show notes if you're new to the case or just need a daily dose of nostalgia. And thanks again, Sierra, for sharing your entry. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Are you experiencing a lack in motivation? Are you feeling helpless, trapped, detached, fatigued, or even worse? These are symptoms of burnout, and you could be suffering and not even know about it. Now, we normally associate burnout with our jobs, our work, but that's not the only cause. Any of our everyday roles in life can lead us to feeling burned out. Sometimes I myself have a hard time taking a break, whether it's from work or projects around the cabin. But I found that my production and creativity increase after I started forcing myself to take breaks. So maybe you'll benefit as well. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. Personally, therapy has given me the tools I need to deal with my stress and anxiety in a healthier way so I can be the best version of myself. Now, BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Now, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Monsters Among Us listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Monsters Among Us for 10% off your first month. As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening, and back to the stuff that keeps you up at night. And that brings us to the home stretch, beginning with Kay, over in Colorado. Hi, Derek. This is Kay from Colorado. I emailed you with my story, but I heard you like calls better, so I'll give it a go, even though it feels like saying it out loud is somehow wrong. Anyways, this is, um, I guess, my alien abduction slash list of encounters that I've had in my life. The first time it happened, I was about eight years old. I remember hearing sort of a whispering noise in my room. I was It was nighttime slash probably super early hours of the morning. I heard a whispering in my room, and I opened my eyes to see very small beings on my bed. Classic, you know, gray alien looking, except the one thing that I find doesn't match up with most people's stories is that they were incredibly small, like about a foot or less in height. I remember specifically not being afraid. I could move, so I don't think it was sleep paralysis and I didn't have any of the telltale signs of anxiety or anything like that. But they were on my bed and they looked at me and I looked at them and we just kind of stared at each other for a moment before my mother switched on the hallway light to come wake me up for school. It must have been about five in the morning. And I looked away briefly at the, you know, the light coming on. And when I looked back, they were gone. So I um, started sort of tearing apart my bed, looking for them, not really sure where they went. And my mom came into the room and I explained what happened to her, but she obviously didn't believe me, (laughs) I don't think. But that was the first time it happened. The rest of my encounters are pretty much all basic things like, you know, I've had some lost time before. I've seen lights in the sky. I was for a long time plagued with a lot of dreams involving abductions. You know, I'd wake up with marks on my body, like on my spine or on my mouth sometimes and places that I couldn't reach. And they would heal up incredibly fast, like the next day they'd be gone. And other things like my little sister would, you know, often come crying to me saying that she had seen objects or lights in our backyard. And obviously when I went to go check it out, there'd be nothing there. But And I guess it's important to note that this isn't the first time something like this has happened in my family. I know my uncle had some form of experience that just scared the hell out of him. And he only told my grandfather and then swore him to secrecy 
and to this day, nobody nobody knows what happened to him or anything. My grandpa's not talking, that's for sure. But um, yeah, I guess that's my very short but hopefully interesting list of events. I don't know if anybody else has seen anything similar, but I love the show. Keep doing what you're doing. Bye. Thank you, Kay, and thanks for calling in. While I do appreciate all the written entries, the show has sort of evolved strictly to external audio, which ironically is how I first envisioned it back in 2014 or 15. So if you've written in in the past, please consider calling in like Kay did. That way we all get to enjoy it, instead of it just rotting away in my inbox. That's one 608 night if you need the number. Now as for Kay's encounter, it sounds terrifying, even if she wasn't terrified herself. Tiny versions of these gray aliens. The only thing creepier might be giant grays. Could you imagine if they were 10, 15, 20 foot tall? Well, I think that's enough imagining for one night. Thank you for the nightmare fuel, Kay. And thanks again for calling in. Now, by my calculations, there's only a couple calls left before we venture beyond. And you know how I always do it. I save the creepiest just for you. If you don't believe me, perhaps Myra in Texas can convince you. Hi, my name's Myra. just want to say I really love your podcast. I've been listening to it at work. I've been binging it. I haven't gotten past season two yet, so I don't know if you've done an episode like this. But this isn't really anything supernatural. It's just more of like a a scary thing that might have happened to me. So a little backstory. I work at a hotel in McAllen, Texas, the RGB. And one night I was working. It was maybe I was working overnight. So it was 12 in the morning. And where my hotel is at, it's, you know, right across the hospitals. And we're right off the expressway as well. So my hotel, it's on one side of the expressway and then the hospital is on the other side of the expressway. So I was working, it's 12 a.m. and this lady walks in and she just looks, you can tell she had just crossed that expressway and she just looked out of it. She didn't look like she knew where she was at or where she was going or where she was. And, you know, it was a lady by herself, so I figured, you know, let me try to help her out. So I asked her if she needed any help, and she just told me, looked at me with dead eyes, and said that she needed to use the restroom. I was a little skeptical at first because, you know, it's midnight, and this really sketchy person just walked in. But, you know, I still said yes, it was fine, she can just use the restroom. So, you know, she goes down the hallway, she goes to the restroom, maybe five minutes five minutes go by, and I haven't seen her come out, haven't heard the, the door open at all. And then these two policemen walk in, and then they said that they're actually security guards at the hospital that's right across the street, and that they had a psych patient escape from their psych ward at the hotel. And there was witnesses that said that they saw her cross the expressway and walk right into the hotel. So I told them, you know, oh, you know there's this lady, and she asked to go to the restroom. She was kind of, you know, didn't really want to look me in the eyes. But when she did, it looked, you know, pretty sketchy. And I told them, you know, she just asked to use the restroom. I pointed them the direction of the restroom. They said that they went in the restroom. There was nobody in there. They asked um, if there was an exit on that in that side of the hallway. And I told them there was. They just have to turn the hallway to the, the very end. They have to turn the hallway left. And then there's some exit doors to go outside. So then they go outside and then they didn't find her. So they come back inside and, you know, I asked them like, oh, well, you know, is something wrong with her? And they told me that this patient, she is admitted into the psych ward at the hospital because she had just murdered her sister's daughter. I think it was a daughter. I don't know if it was her daughter or the son, but, you know, she just murdered her niece or nephew. And that the only reason why she did it was because she was in furrows, so she wasn't able to have babies. That was the, she had told the cop. I don't know, it was pretty crazy in the moment. I kind of went into shock thinking, you know, what if I had told this person no, that she couldn't use the restroom. They had labeled her at the hospital as highly dangerous. And, you know, she just escaped and walked right into the hotel that I just so happened to be working at. So 
so you know just thinking about it right now it gets my heart racing a little bit but yeah turns out they she was never found this happened on a saturday and then on monday i was still working that you know overnight shift and they had came in asking you know for me to be a witness to say that she came in asking to use the restroom and that she just walked out they asked to see the cameras and in the cameras we can see her you know walking out and she just runs into the field that's behind the hotel and yeah that was just a crazy situation i always wonder you know what could have happened to me if i told her no you know knowing that she was highly dangerous or labeled as highly dangerous you know for murdering her little niece or nephew but yeah that's all i have to say thank you thanks myra like i always say it's not the dead that you have to worry about humans are the scariest monsters out there and i love to sprinkle in a call like this every once in a while just to remind us of that. Now, I'm not a true crime kind of guy, but I did my best to try to find this particular case, but I was unable to do so. So I'm not sure she was even ever caught or not. So if anyone has any additional info on this one, or if you happen to know yourself, Myra, we would love an update. And thanks again for sharing the entry. And here we are our final entry of the episode. And this one comes to us from Bonnie in the state of Arkansas. Hi, this is Bonnie, and I'm calling from Central Arkansas. My story starts actually between Central and Northwest Arkansas. I used to travel between the Wachita Mountains to visit my family in Hot Springs. At this time, I was working at a medical center up in the northwest part of the state. This all started one evening. It was very late. I decided to go ahead and make the trip after work. I'd say about 12, 1 o'clock a.m. And everything was fine until I came across the straightaway, which would lead me into the mountains. I felt like I was by myself. It was dark, and I had my lights on bright. And as I started going down the straightaway, I noticed there was a car in front of me going around a bend, so I turned my bright lights off and proceeded. At this time, I was entering the mountains, and it started getting a little slopey and to the point where there was a bunch of curves, and at this point, you really have no options to pull over. The the side is just really thin where you can pull over and and park, but I noticed that there was a car parked on the side, but I, I didn't pay any attention to it and, you know, just headed on my way. Well, the next thing I know, this car had got behind me and was just put on his lights as bright as he could and got right up to my bumper. He was trying to force me off the road. This scared me to death. He was bumping and, and, and honking, and it was just awful. It scared me to death. There was nobody else on the road. I had to at least slow down, I know at one point, below five miles an hour to where I didn't know if I was going to do this or not. I couldn't see in front of me. I couldn't see the curves. I didn't know if I was fixing to go off the side of the mountain. I just prayed to God, and eventually I just couldn't take it anymore, and I just put on the gas, and I went, and I got away from him, or he stopped. You know, it was over. And I got to my mom's, and I told her what happened, and I was really shook up, and of course she gave me hot cocoa, calmed me down, and I went about my life. I'm not thinking any more about this for the next three or four months, let's say, until couple more trips ahead and this is the daytime at this time and uh, I was coming back from Hot Springs to Northwest Arkansas and I had hit the Wachita Mountains and you've got to understand uh, certain times of the year this is a pretty highly traveled road because Hot Springs is a tourist town and we also have horse racing and it brings a lot of people between the two areas so usually at this time of year you know I'm used to seeing other people on the road and I don't really feel alone. But I noticed as I hit the mountains at this time that there was really nobody on the road. And it was a real quiet day. And I was thinking to myself, hmm, you know, that's strange. I'm not really seeing anybody else on the road, but okay, I'll pick up some time. I'd say about a couple miles into the mountains, it started getting slopey again, the curves and everything. And I looked beside me and there was this big from the 70s, I can't really pick the model, but one of those big four-door boat-like cars, you know, completely black. The windows were tinted, but more of a purple tint. You know, I could see a silhouette of someone, something in the front seat. 
it had a wide rimmed hat on, like a big black pea coat on, and I noticed that the hands I could see them coming up to the steering wheel, and they were just extraordinarily long. I don't know if it was nails, whatever it was, just extraordinary long. I mean, I was creeped out, and I was thinking, number one, where did this car come from? I'm in the middle of the mountains. I'm not seeing any logging roads. Anyway, this car could have come from. And I swear this thing turned around my way and just grinned. I mean, the most evilest thing I have ever seen in my life. I can't even put it into words. But that was enough for me to just put on the gas and go. I was out there. I got about half a mile, mile ahead of him, and I was around the bend, and I kept waiting for him to come around the bend, and he never did. Now, I don't know where he went, or he, or it, or whatever. There's no logging roads, there's no roads, there was nowhere for him to go. It just disappeared. All I know is I'm pretty sure that his way of letting me know, hey, I'm still here. You know, it was evil, it scared me, and I hope I don't ever see anything like that again. I'm going to be one of your repeat offenders. I can already tell. Loving the show. I have a lot of paranormal things that's happened to me. Hope to share in the future. Take care. God bless. Thank you. Ooh, thanks, Bonnie. You know, in my professional opinion, it sounds like you might have been tailed by a vampire. Either that or a pimp. Do they have vampires in Arkansas? Anyway... As a mountain resident myself, I can tell you that locals get very impatient when out-of-towners, or flatlanders as they're called up here, aren't driving close enough to the posted speed limit. Well, think about it. You know the road like the back of your hand, and can safely go 55, the legal limit. But someone in front of you, new to the two-lane road, and uneasy in the environment, feels safer at 20 miles an hour. You can imagine how quickly patience can be tested when it's 20 more miles of this until home. That's why we have turnouts here. You pull into the little parking area, just to the right, allow the faster cars to pass, then you pull back into the road and resume course. But you'd be surprised how many are too proud to pull such a maneuver. Anyway, that's my rant about slow mountain drivers, because it seems it was the opposite issue for Bonnie. Who knows if she had access to turnouts, berms, shoulders, or other off-road options. And from the sounds of things, she did not. It sounds like she did a good job just to escape unscathed. So who or what was this Jeepers Creepers-esque villain? An impatient classic car enthusiast. A vampire retreating to his mountain hideaway. Or simply a demonic driver delivered from the gates of hell by the devil himself. That may seem like a stretch, but given the fact that this tale took place in the toothpick state, well, that gives it clout, because this show's told us that Arkansas seems to be chock full of all sorts of spooks and specters. Thanks again, Bonnie, for sharing the awesome entry. But my money is still on that vampire. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. If you have a free moment, please follow us on social media. We have accounts at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. While you're at it, leave us a rate and review wherever possible. And lastly, the score from this episode was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.AG Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Well, thank you all so much for listening, and until next week. The secret entry here at Monsters Among Us is typically reserved for the weirdest of calls. And tonight's entry just might be one of the strangest yet. I think. Please join me in welcoming 
T from New York to the program. Hi, Derek. This is T as in table. I don't want to give you my full name, but I am in New York. Okay. So I really thought a lot about calling you and I'm not even sure if this is even applicable to what normally you would put on the air. I mean, you put a lot of weird stories. So this is probably going to be the weirdest. I mean, who knows? Okay. So I have a neurological illness. So my brain goes a little bit slower than my speaking. It just takes a little bit longer for, for my speaking to, to happen from my brain. So let's start now. 1981. I'm about 15 or 16 years old and I live in New Jersey but I go to a boarding school in upstate New York and I get in trouble a lot because those were the days where, you know, we acted out and we did, you know, things that teens do and get into trouble. Anyway, I would go home on the weekend sometimes, not a lot. But this particular time, my parents were driving me back to upstate New York and we started in northern New Jersey. So it's about an hour and a half drive and we would drive over what was then called the Tappan Zee Bridge and go north where the Hudson Bridge would be to our left. So we'd be driving north on this Taconic Parkway. And the Taconic is sort of like a highway that was built through the hills and it goes north and south. And it's a two lane highway on each side. It can be really dangerous at night, but this was in the afternoon. It was in the winter time but it wasn't too cold. There was no snow that I remember. So we're going up to Taconic and I'm in the back seat on the right side and my father's driving and my mother's in the front seat and nobody's really talking because I'm in trouble. So we're just driving, I guess, I don't know, 50 miles an hour. And on the side of the Taconic, it's sort of raised up. So it's like sort of built on the sides. Like let's say you parked your car, you would have to walk up maybe 10 to 20 feet to get to the top of the vista but really there's nowhere to stop to park because there's no shoulder lanes you just have to keep going it's pretty dangerous but anyway it's also very isolated so it was still daylight and I, we were driving north and to my right I saw a man he looked like yes our air fat he was wearing like um, a kafia scarf or a Shemag scarf, and he was taking a knee, holding a machine gun, and this is the 80s, so I don't know what kind of machine gun it was. It couldn't have been anything that we see these days, but it was an older, I guess, machine gun, and he was facing the river, but he wasn't pointing at anything. We just drove right by, and I looked to him to the right. I don't think he saw me, but nothing really was said I was in trouble so I didn't even say anything to my parents nobody else saw him my parents didn't see him it was just me we drove by and I just saw him to the right he was on a hill overlooking the Taconic Parkway but the thing is is which is so weird I didn't know anything this is before the Islamophobia you know that everybody the propaganda of, of Islamophobia so was seeing seeing a man that looked like a, a Muslim soldier although he seemed a little bit older he wasn't even like a young soldier he was an older man it wasn't something that was in my vernacular I mean I I wouldn't have even there's no way it's like seeing a, a, a pink bunny or something you know this is so random, you know. But it was during the time when there were a lot of UFO sightings during that time. And I, I remember Whitley Strieber had his experience, I think, was a couple of years later after that. So in any case, I just wanted to say that this was during that time of, they called it the wave of, of the UFO wave, sighting wave in the Hudson River Valley. And also, I've heard about screen memories, which I was thinking, well, maybe, and I didn't think about this till much, much later on, many, many, many years. And I haven't told anybody this, it's just because it's just so weird, you know, it's so random. But I'm thinking maybe it was a screen memory, maybe that was an alien or something, and he had to change really quickly into something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It was just really weird. I heard nothing in the paper. I remember looking in the papers about it. I didn't see anything about it. And so that was that. 
I never saw anything like that again. Like I said, it was during this wave of UFO Hudson River Valley sightings. So that's my story, and I, and I really appreciate what you do. And normally I would never call anybody like this, but you thrive on other people's stories. And these are all true stories. I believe every one of them. So I don't know what it means, and maybe you might know what it means. Maybe somebody else out there saw something like that. It was just above Westchester. I guess it was Westchester into Putnam Valley, 45 minutes south of Poughkeepsie, around that area of the Hudson River Valley, very close to the river. So thank you so much, and bless you and bless everyone out there trying to make sense of the world. Thank you. Thanks, T. So weird, right? I first heard T's call a few months ago. And for some odd reason, I could not stop thinking about it. So I'm hoping, like T, someone out there might have some information on this. And I suppose this story would be a lot less interesting, if not for the UFO flap taking place at that place at that time. A flap that I first learned about from, well, you guessed it, Unsolved Mysteries. The quiet beauty of New York's Hudson River Valley belies its location just 40 miles north of the bustling streets of Manhattan. The valley is home to upscale professionals and retirees. They tend to be well-educated and cosmopolitan, hardly the type of people you'd expect to be swept up by UFO fever. Yet that is exactly what happened to more than 5,000 area residents between 1983 and 1989. The epidemic of sensational UFO sightings in the Hudson River Valley lasted six years. Ultimately, the entire episode was largely dismissed as a hoax, perpetrated by a group of local stunt pilots. However, to this day, many of the eyewitnesses maintain that what they saw could not have been a handful of airplanes. Now, what object did they see, you may be wondering? Well, a big black triangle, of course. So was T's mystery man connected to any of this in any way? Or was he perhaps protesting one of the many conflicts taking place in the Middle East at that time, assuming he had connections to that location? Or, like T suggested, was he one of the aliens themselves hiding in plain sight? Thanks again, T, for the interesting entry, and thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Now put up your blast shields, because from here on out, we're going beyond. And as I teased in the main show, tonight's bonus material will be another grab bag special. So buckle up, because I just pulled out Rob Skull from Parts Unknown.